Hi everyone, welcome. Welcome to worship, welcome to Schweitzer. It's really good to be with you. Wherever you're at today, we're glad you're here. I'm Jim and I serve as a pastor here. Really a privilege to be with you. We're really excited too for all our guests with us today. And for you, we ask you to connect with us. We have a virtual gift card we'd love to send to you. So connect with us and we'll send that right out. Today we're looking forward to continuing our series. Our sermon series, it's our fifth week. It's called Jesus is Greater. Pastor Spencer is going to lead us line by line through Colossians. God has a message for us all today. And now I'm excited to introduce you to Stephanie Hassey, a longtime friend and member of a praise band. She's going to tell us about what's going on around here. Let's, let's listen. Hi, my name's Stephanie. Good morning, everybody. And this is what's happening at Schweitzer this week. This past few months has required a lot of flexibility on everybody's part, and we're so grateful for all of you and your flexibility. With that, there are some changes coming up. Our online service remains the same. We'll still have services at 9, 10, and 11. And in fact, if you're watching this right now, go ahead and invite somebody to join you by joining live.sumc.co. They can join right along with you and enjoy the service. They don't even have to be in your neighborhood. They can be clear across the country. So be sure and spread the word about that. For those of you joining us in person, we do have a change coming. Our modern service is shifting to 10.45 a.m. And instead of in the Outreach Center, it's gonna be in the sanctuary. That gives us some more room so we can have social distancing as that service continues to grow. So join us next week, beginning October 18th at 10.45 in the sanctuary for modern worship. If you've been joining us in person or online for a few weeks and are interested in learning more about the church, we would love to have you join us for our online all-in gathering, Tuesday, October 20th at 6 p.m. You can find out more at sumc.co slash all in to find out more details. At this event, you'll learn more about the history of Schweitzer. You'll hear from the pastors and you can ask questions and learn more about the church. We have a great upcoming event on October 24th at 6.30. Join us here on the Schweitzer campus. Bring your chairs, bring your blankets, bring your cozy stuff. It may be chilly outside. We're gonna watch a movie about the Springfield Street Choir and their performances in 2019. It'll be a great time to gather socially distant, bring your masks, watch this movie, and we'll also at that event be collecting sleeping bags, blankets, coats, warm things to share with others during the colder months. We look forward to seeing you. And we invite you now to, to chat with others. There's a chat feature on your screen, so say hello. Also, if you would like to receive prayer, there's a prayer button, and we'd love to pray with you. And now this morning, let's, uh, let's worship and celebrate God uh, together. And now KJ is going to lead us. When night has fallen, when fear is calm, still you're calling me. When faith is lost, my hope exhausted. You will be my strength When my mind says I'm not good enough God, you're enough for me I've decided I'm not giving up You won't give up on me You won't give up on me
Thanks, KJ. Let's pray together. Each week in this series, we're reading a prayer from the book that was created here at Schweitzer, Jesus is Greater. And this week, the prayer of the week is called a freedom prayer. So I'm going to read this. I invite you to listen and let this prayer shape you as you you really are informed and let this flow into your prayer life. I'm gonna read it twice and then we'll pray together. So hear these words, a freedom prayer. Dear God, Form us into a peculiar people who live differently because we have been transformed by you. May the courage of the early Christians teach us to laugh at fear, to starve greed, and to live with the winsome freedom of the lilies and the sparrows. Dear God, form us into a peculiar people who live differently because we have been transformed by you. May the courage of the early Christians teach us to laugh, to laugh at fear and to starve greed and to live with the winsome freedom of the lilies and the sparrows. Let's pray together. Gracious God, holy God, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit that frees us, that liberates us in this life into a new way of life with you. You and us and us and you. God, continue. Continue to fill us with courage to really be a unique and peculiar people that with your spirit, Others are drawn to you. And through us, God, we pray that you would be glorified. And in this life, we we confess that greed can overtake us. So help us to, to let go and to be free, to be generous, to be good and kind. God, we we want to reflect your goodness. And so in this season and in this life, God, we, we look to you, we rely on you, and we trust you. God, you are, you are everything. You are our foundation. We love you and we praise you. And now let's, uh, let's pray together. The prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us long ago, let's pray with uh, boldness and confidence and courage, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we thank you for your generosity and how your gifts are changing lives here at this campus and everywhere. 
And today we want to tell you especially about a ministry, our youth ministry here that is thriving in this season and partly because of your gifts and how God is blessing them and making the ministries of Jesus Christ become very real, very tangible. So let's hear from the youth ministry, Tim Smith. Let's watch. Hey everyone, uh, Tim Smith here, Director of Youth Ministries here at Schweitzer. Uh, I just wanna say thanks. Uh, because of your gifts during this time of COVID in our church, we were able to uh, create kind of a new space for our students to be meeting in. Uh, it's actually in the van bays uh, on the side of the outreach center. What we do is we move the vans out and then we created a new uh, worship space for our students where we can open the van bays to get fresh air inside where our students are still masked and we're able still to have worship. Uh, we're still able to play games. We're still able to meet together uh, as youth and as leaders uh, to pour into our students here at Schweitzer uh, and, and move them along in their faith journey. So we just want to say thanks uh, because if it wasn't for you, uh, we would not be able to have renovated that space um, in order to have our students continue to meet. So um, you guys are awesome and we really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for that news about the youth ministry. We're really excited and thankful for your leadership and all the good stuff that is happening through the youth here at Schweitzer. And thank you to everyone out there. Thank you all for your tithes and gifts and offerings. They really matter, making a difference. And now, Mary B is gonna lead us in another song. city called glory so bright and so fair when I entered the gates I cried holy
Thanks, Mary. Thank you for blessing us with your gift and glorifying God. And now we have a 52 story. Each week this year at Schweitzer, we're telling God stories, how God is moving and working in lives here, connected in various ways. And this week is uh, Janet Price. And Janet is a really faithful follower of Jesus, good friend, and her life is, is transformed and inspiring. And so I know today that you'll be inspired in faith, hope, and love as we watch Janet. Let's watch. Well, I've been coming to Schweitzer for about 11 years. Um, became a member soon after I came here because I walked in and just felt welcome in the beginning and, and never left. Been through lots of ministries here um, just because I enjoyed doing different things. I've been involved in Alpha and um, New Beginnings. I'm currently involved in Coach House. Um, I also do the prayer garden. I maintain the prayer garden. I love being in the dirt. I love working with my hands. I love being in the dirt and I commune with God in, in nature and I talk to Him a lot when I'm there. I meet people in the prayer garden and one lady come in one morning when I was there working um, by myself and she was looking for someone to pray with her and I knew what was going on because I saw her carrying a little box and she was bringing her ashes in she, of her husband she picked up from the um, funeral home and she was looking for someone to pray with her over her husband's ashes. So I asked her if I would do, and she said, oh yes. So um, we sat distanced apart, of course, but we had that box between us, and we prayed for her husband and for her while we were there. Um, and that really blessed me. Um, it's things like that, that, you know, ways that God blesses me, and I think He uses me to serve other people and um, it just, it makes me, you know, sometimes we wonder if we're, we're in the spot we're supposed to be in, and that's just one way God confirms for me that, that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And the other story is uh, mentoring the women at Coach House, and I've just truly been blessed there because I've met many different women. We set up a time to meet once a week where we can just talk. We'll go have a Coke or a coffee, or we'll meet in the prayer garden, or whatever works for us during this time of COVID um, is where we can still be safe. And, and we meet and, you know, I listen. I do more listening than anything. And I just listen to where they are on their journey and what their hopes are and what their dreams are. You know, we walk together. Um, it's, it's a learning process in that you can walk with someone else as a Christian example and learn with them and through them. Um, and it's a way, it, what I got out of it the most, I think, was learning that and learning that um, my heart was softening. I wasn't so cynical anymore. Um, we become so cynical in this age and we don't think we should be doing anything or it's not going to matter. Well, it does matter. And, you know, it, one person at a time, one step at a time. And if we have God by our side, then, you know, you've won most of the battle right there, or all the battle. My name is Janet Price, and this is just the beginning of my story. Well, welcome, friends. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor here. Thank you, Janet, for sharing your story. I have so enjoyed these 52 stories as we've gone through the year, hearing all these different ways that God is at work in people of our church. Hey, today is part five of this series called Jesus is Greater. We're reading through the book of Colossians, just going line by line as we study this together. And, and we're, we're learning as we go through this eight ways, eight weeks, that Jesus is greater. Because that's the whole theme of Colossians, that Jesus is greater. He's greater than anything and everything. And so you might be tempted to put Put other things in front of him, but Colossians is this constant reminder about the greatness of Jesus. Uh, several years ago, I was, I was at a church that I was serving, and um, in between worship services, there was um, a woman who came up to me, and uh, she wanted to talk to me in between services about her son, and specifically about the choices that her son was making, poor choices. So this woman wanted to talk about her, her adult son, the poor choices he was making, and, and more accurately, what she wanted to do is she wanted me to, to call her son to talk to him about these choices that, that he was making. And, 
And uh, I don't know if that happens to you, but that happens to me a lot. I get those kinds of requests quite a bit, and uh, people will, will ask me to, to call you know, their, their adult children to talk to them about their, their choices. And, I, and I've learned the hard way that you always ask a follow-up question when I get a request like that, because I'm happy to make those phone calls, but there's a, there's a follow-up question that I always have to ask, which is this. Um, does your son want to talk to me? And what, what I've learned is that if, if you don't ask that question and you just make the cold call, it turns out that getting a phone call from a pastor to talk to you about your poor life choices, a pastor that you don't even know, is it, it, not that helpful. And so I, I always ask this question, does your son want to talk to me? Does your son want to talk to, to a pastor? She, she says, well, well, no, I haven't, I haven't asked him. And I, I said, well, you, you need to talk to him. And she says, well, I just feel like if he could listen to somebody other than his mom, it would really help him. And then, and then she said this, because what he really needs to know is he, he just needs someone to, to explain to him all the rules that are in the Bible. And I, I just kind of look at her for a second, because in, in, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, did, did I hear that right? You want me to call him to tell him about all the rules that are, that are, that are in the Bible? Like, and, I, and I must have looked confused by that, because she, she just says, she says, like, I, you know, I just feel like if he understood these, these rules, then, then he would start to live differently and he would make different choices. And, and, and there's this, this misconception. It happens both inside and outside the church. This, this misconception about the message of Jesus and, and the gospel that, that the message of Jesus is mostly about rules, um, happens inside and outside the church, happens inside the church. We've got people like, like this woman who is a faithful church member who begins to think somewhere along the lines that if, if we just knew the rules, then we would live differently. Or it happens outside the church when people look in at Christians and they think to themselves, well, I don't want to go there and be part of their group because, you know, they're just about rules and I'm not, I, I want to have fun. Or, or sometimes people might look from the outside in and, and look at Christians and be like, well, I can't go there because, you know, my life is a mess because we've thought that the message of Jesus is mostly about rules. It's mostly about behavior. It's mostly about what we do. And, and this, this misconception about the message of Jesus, about about making it about rules is, is not new. I mean, it's been around from the, from the very beginning. In fact, this week and next week, as we go through this study, we're gonna really talk about how it is that Christians relate to rules. And these, these two messages go together just like hand in hand. And I really wish that I just had 50 minutes today to, to go through both of these passages because I, I just, they go together so well. But we're gonna divide these into two parts. Um, this week and next week, as we talk about our relationship that we have with these rules, because this misconception, it goes back to the very beginning of the Christian movement. And this is what Paul's going to talk about as we start this today. So as we go to this today, we're picking up right where we left off, and, and, and Paul's going to start talking about uh, how it is that we relate to rules. And so here's what he says, verse 16 of chapter 2, Colossians. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, all of those things he just mentioned there about rules. What you eat or drink is the kosher laws, what, what you regard to religious festivals, new moons, it's all about, it's all about rules. It's all, it's all about rules. Specifically, it's about the Old Testament rules. So if you think about the Old Testament, the, the rules in the Old Testament are often called the law. In fact, the first five books of the Bible, Math, uh, Matthew, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books of the Bible um, are often called the Torah, kind of as a group, they're called the Torah, and the Torah is Hebrew for, for law. And in those five books of the Bible, those first five books of the Bible, the, the law, there's 613 different commandments, 613 different rules um, that you're giving 613 different thou shalls and thou shall nots. That's a, that's a lot of rules. And it's, it's, it's filled with that. And so, and so what we learned last week as we talked about this was um, the, the relationship that the first generation of Christians had with the rules was the controversy of the very first Christians. The controversy. Because it started to, to raise up this question of, well, well, do Christians still live by all of the Old Testament rules? For instance, do Christians, do they keep kosher laws? Are we able to eat shrimp and bacon? And better yet, are we able to wrap the shrimp with the bacon? Because that's just absolutely delicious. Can we eat that? Or, or do we need to keep the Sabbath? I mean, we worship on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. But, you know, Sabbath is Friday night to, to Saturday night. Do we need to keep the Sabbath? What is the, how do Christians relate to the Sabbath? Or, or the question, of course, was circumcision, which is part of the law. And we talked about that last week. And I don't know how many times I said that word circumcision in the message, but it was a lot because that was the question of the first generation of Christians is, is what do we do 
with the rules. What do we do with the rules? And this is what this passage starts off with is Paul's like, don't, don't, don't be judged by this. And the reason for this is, is what we talked about last week. The very important word that we read in this first verse, uh, chapter two, verse 16 was the first word was the word therefore. So everything Paul's about to say about the rules, you know, it's based off this therefore, which is referencing what we read last week. Remember, this is one line of thought and, and, and to sync these things two together. What, what we read last week was this message about resurrection the empty tomb. It's about Jesus' victory over death. We, we honed in on this really powerful phrase from Colossians 2 verse 13 where it just said this, God made you alive with Christ. Man, I love that. God made you alive with Christ. And I want you to notice that as we talk about resurrection, it's not that God will make you alive with Christ, like when you die and go to heaven. And it's not like God you know, will make you alive with Christ if you're like really, really religious and you do all the rules and check all the boxes and cross all the T's and dot all the I's. No, no, no. It's like God has made you already, already accomplished. He's made you alive with Christ. Not because of what you've done or, or who you've been or, or anything like that, but simply because it's a gift to you, a gift. We call this grace, that God has made you alive um, with Christ. And so because of that, Paul's like, don't be judged based on all these rules, these trivial things like kosher laws and Sabbath and, and religious festivals because, because there's so much more for you than that. He keeps going here. Uh, verse, uh, verse 17, he says, these, these rules, these 613 different commandments, these rules are a shadow. They're just, they're just a hint of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. These rules are not are just like a hint of what's to come. Verse 18, he says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, which is a specific problem in this church in uh, Colossae, uh, disqualify you. He says, such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen and they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. In other words, uh, don't become discouraged or feel disqualified because there are some people who uh, work really hard at looking good on the outside. That's what he's talking here. Like you work really hard at, at false humility. You look really hard at, at being really religious, but, but that's not who you really are. He goes on, he says, um, these people who have really worked really hard on who they are on the outside, he says, they have lost connection with the head, which is Jesus, the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Verse 20, since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do this. This is the rules of how the world works. And Paul's like, you, you have been introduced to something new in Christ, so why are you living like, like how the world used to tell you to live. Like, like there's a new way of life. You don't belong to the world like you used to. You don't belong to the world like you used to, which, which makes us stop and think about then if we don't belong to the world how we used to, it makes us stop and think about how the world operates and, 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 and what are some of the changes that have taken place if we don't belong to the world as it used to. And I, and I think about how the world operates. And I think about some examples of this. I think about, for instance, when I was a kid, um, I went to school. You probably went to school too. I went to school. And in school, I, I took classes. And in these classes, um, I would get a grade based on my work and how I performed. Sometimes that grade would be an A. More often than not, it wasn't. But sometimes it was. In the same way, um, now that I don't go to school, I have a job. And uh, my job, if I meet expectations, provides me with a paycheck. And... Um, it rewards me for the behavior that I, that I do. And, and, if, and if I do bad behavior, it punishes me. I, I could lose my job. There's, there's like this, this way that it works that if I have you know, outcomes that come to me because of the work that I've, I've performed, like this, is, like this is how the world works. There is this certain like math that the world operates by that if you do certain things, then you should expect other things to come back to you, certain things to come back to you. And, and, and what happens then if we begin to apply that math to how we think God operates. My brother-in-law has this, this funny thing he says. Um, it's like, a, like this joke he uses. Whatever, like small things happen or silly things happen. Like you get a front row parking spot, you know, in a crowded parking lot. He, he'll say something like this. He'll be like, man, you must be living right. And, and the joke is like, 
because you've been doing something right, God has blessed you with his, you know, goodness, with this silly thing like a, like a parking spot. But this is, this is um, you know, a, a joke that's based on, on this kind of math that, that God must operate on the same kind of math that the world does, that if I do certain things, then God is gonna bless me with his favor, his goodness, his love, his forgiveness. And, and if I do certain things, he's gonna, this is how it's gonna work. It's gonna be a transactional kind of relationship that the math of God works according to what, what I do. And then God responds to that. And, and by the way, there is a theological framework for that kind of math. And that, that theological framework, it's very popular in our culture. It's called, it's called karma. I do good things, good things come to me. I do bad things, bad things come to me. This is the math of the world. And Paul's like, you don't belong to the world anymore. So why are you living as if God listens to that math? Because the math of God is nothing like the world. The math of God is not based on what you do. It's not based on how you've done it. And it's not based on what you deserve. The math of God is based on grace. And, and grace is this gift that God gives us, this gift of blessing, this gift of his relationship, the gift of favor that he gives us, the, this gift that we don't deserve. This is the math of God that even when we don't deserve it, he gives us his goodness because this is what he's like. This is his, his goodness that he's, he's poured out to us. And so he's like, why, why are you living as if God lives by the same math that the world lives by? He goes on here, Paul goes on, he says, these rules, these rules, these, these outward behaviors that you so, get so focused on, he says, these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Rules, sometimes we hide behind them because we think they're, they're easier to, to, to be focused on our, our outward behaviors. And he goes on with their, he goes on with, uh, appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But then I want you to hear this last phrase here. This is the, here's the problem with having a relationship with God that's based on this math of rules. It says, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Rules can't and don't change your life. They're not powerful enough. It, it may look like your life changes if you follow the rules, but it's not actually changing your life. All you're doing is you're becoming good at putting a pretense on the outside, but on the inside, you're not actually changing what you're about. You're not actually changing your character and your heart. And if we know anything about Jesus, is that Jesus is not so much concerned about what we do on the outside. He's so much more concerned about what happens on the inside, who we really are the character and the heart that we have. And this is where Jesus wants to change us. I think about what Jesus said to the rule keepers of his day, the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus um, talks to the Pharisees, has some really harsh words to them. But listen to what he says to the Pharisees about, about their focus on the outside and how they're focused on the rules. Listen to what he says. This is Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They're full of greed and self-indulgence. He's like, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you haven't fixed this yet. He goes on, he says, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. He goes on, he says, woe to you, teach the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and, and uh, wickedness. Like, like Jesus is so much more concerned about who we are on the inside than who we are on the outside. What he wants to do is he wants to change us from the, outside, from the inside out. This is how he wants to, to work on our lives. But, but for, for whatever reason, we have this tendency to begin to focus on, on how we look on the outside, the pretense that we put up, the check, the boxes that we check, the, the ways that we follow the rules or don't follow the rules. This is what we become focused on. And of course, in Christian teaching, there is a word that we use for when we become more focused on the outside than, than on the inside. And that word we use in Christian teaching is this, legalism. It's when we begin to focus on, on the works that we perform. It's when we begin to, to think that God is basing his relationship with us on, on what we've done or haven't done or how good we've been or haven't been and that God's goodness and blessing and favor are dependent on, on how we've performed. Legalism is when we begin to, 
to, to use the world's math to think about how God relates to us, even though what God, how he relates to us is, is always and thoroughly and only through grace, this gift of love that he's offered us. And yet somehow, though, for, for some reason, I, I can't put my finger on why it is, all of us have this tendency to drift towards legalism away from grace. And I, and I don't know why this is, but like this is a danger for every follower of Jesus. We have this tendency to drift towards legalism away from grace. And, and maybe we do this because we are so accustomed to the world's math that we can't begin to understand that God operates on a totally different equation of just this free gift of grace. Or, or, or maybe it's because that we, we drift towards legalism because it's easier. And it's just, it's easier to think about my life based on what I have done, I haven't done, check boxes and, and crossing T's and dotting I's and, and looking at my outward behavior because that's easier than it is to think about a relationship, which is much more complicated and it's harder to, to understand. And so for whatever reason, I don't really know why it is, we, we tend to drift towards legalism. We tend to drift away from grace. And, and it's not like we do this on purpose. I mean, we all understand that we begin our relationship with God based on grace, but, but over time, Christians have a tendency to, to, to drift towards legalism and away from grace. All of us do. I do. You do. All of us do. I think about this metaphor we used a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was the first week of this series, so about five weeks ago. I used this metaphor, and I've used this metaphor in several sermons. And what I love about this metaphor I used, I, I talked about how... Um, salvation, our life with God is like a house. And what I love about this metaphor is that it really sticks with people. And I had maybe four or five different conversations with folks after that, uh, using that metaphor in their life. And it's just amazing how that this conversation just kept coming up. And so I was thinking about this metaphor this week and how our life with God is like a house. And, and uh, I've used this before, and you'll remember it, like uh, a house, like all houses, has a front porch. And in this metaphor, what the front porch of, of a house is, is like that time before you knew the Lord, before you had a relationship with God, that God was still active in your life, even though you were outside the house, you were, you were on the front porch. And, and the idea with the, with the front porch is that no matter what you've done or, or where you've been or what you believed or haven't believed, God was at work in your life. He, he was seeking to draw you into relationship with Him. And the word we use for the way that God was at work in your life is this. It's the word grace. That God was at work in your life, even though you didn't deserve it, even though you weren't even interested in Him, He was at work in your life just because He loves you. This is what God is like. And, and, and so in this house, there's, there's like a front door to this house, just like every, every house. And, and uh, just like a real house, there's this moment where you walk from being on the outside to the inside, you cross the threshold, and, and this is how it is with God as well. There's this moment in, in time where, where you go from being on the outside to the inside, you, you cross this line of faith where you decide that you do trust in Christ and, and uh, that this is this gift that God has given you. And, and, and that moment of crossing that, that threshold of faith, it's, it's when we're born again. We might say it's when we're saved. It's, it's how God has, has justified us and, and we, are, we are brought into to the, inside the house. And, and again, that moment is, is all about grace, that God is the one inviting us in and that he's giving us the ability to choose to walk through the door. Like he is active in our life and he is doing this because the reality is we don't deserve to walk through the front door. In fact, we we don't deserve to be on the property at all, but God has invited us in through that front door because of his grace. And what I love about this metaphor is that it doesn't stop there because it keeps going and, and it keeps going with this idea that, that now that you've crossed through the front door, uh, you get to live and move into this house and you get to put all the rooms in order and you get to decorate it and paint it and clean it up and, and, and you get to put the TV on the wall and the couch and you get to move into this and live into this. And for the rest of your life, you're going to be moving and living in this house, making it and ordering it the way that it's supposed to be, that, that, that this is always going to be happening. And, and, and even that moment, that work is still an act of grace. Now, now we have this tendency though to begin to, to drift after we've maybe crossed that line of faith where we, we know that we've been saved by grace through faith, but, but we have this, this line, this, this drifting that sometimes we do where we begin to think that after that, it's really on us. It's about how much I read my Bible. It's about how many things at church I go to. It's about how many bad words I say or don't say. It's about, it's about how I live into virtues and not vices. And it's how I, how I begin to fix my life. And we begin to think that, that, that as we move into the house, that it's our job to clean the carpets, our job to paint the walls. It's our job to organize the kitchen. It's our job to do all these things. It's our job to get our life in order. But, but the truth of the matter is, it's always grace. From beginning to end, it's always grace. God's math of grace never changes. Uh, Philip Yancey has this line. I think about it a lot. I love this line. Uh, I don't remember what book it's in, but he has this line where he says this. He says, the opposite of sin is grace 
not virtue. Like the way God always interacts with us is this free gift of favor and blessing and love, forgiveness that he offers us. It's always grace. You never move past that. And and this is how God works in our life and this is how our life changes is when we experience his grace. And so I think about this woman who approaches me between services and wants to talk to me about her son and, and she has this line about the rules and I hear this line and in, in, inside, I just got to tell you, my heart sinks when she tells me this. It just sinks because I think to myself, you have been a member of our church for decades. I've personally been your pastor for like five or six years. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm so sorry that we failed you so much. That somewhere along the lines, you thought this was about rules when really it's about grace. I mean, I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus can change your son's life, but it's not going to be because he understands the rules. It's going to be because he experiences his grace. It's going to be because he's included and invited into a relationship with the living God. This is what changes our lives. You see, God's not interested in you being really good at religion and really good at the rules. God's not interested in how many boxes you check and all the good deeds you do for him. You know what God wants from you is he wants a relationship. He wants a deep, growing, personal, dynamic relationship with him. This is what he wants for you. This is how he liberates us. You see, Jesus is greater because he's liberated us. We don't belong to the world like we used to. We belong to a God who interacts with us from beginning to end by his grace. And you are invited not to a long list of rules of these and thou's shall nots and thou shalt's, but you are invited into relationship with the living God, a deep, personal, growing, dynamic relationship with Him. And this is how your life will change as you grow in that relationship with Him. Jesus is greater because He invites you into relationship through His grace. Let's pray together. So Lord, I um, thank you that you don't invite us into just a religion of rules because rules don't change our lives. You invite us into grace, a gift of your love. The math that you work towards us is a gift where you give to us what it is that we need. You give to us your blessing, your favor, your goodness. You give to us your love and salvation always because of simply your grace. And so Lord, today I I just want to acknowledge that, that I personally, as well as everyone else, we have a tendency to drift towards legalism. And would you remind us today that you're not looking for us to perform certain actions, you're you're looking for us to know you. And if we've been neglecting a relationship with you, a deep, personal, abiding, growing relationship with you, would you call us back to knowing you first and foremost, that this would be the focus of what you want for us, that we would know you because you love us so much. For anyone this morning who doesn't know what it is to walk with you in a relationship, may today be a day where they turn over a new leaf, they they walk through the front door of that house and they say, "I, I believe that you are my savior and I wanna walk with you. So God, today I give you thanks for all that you're doing in our lives through this gift of grace. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies to all my fears are gone I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm
mother's womb You have chosen me Love has called my name I've been born again Into your family Your blood flows through my veins I'm no It's been a great time of worship today. Thank you for those who have, who have led us today, Stephanie, Jim, uh, Mary, KJ, for, for leading us today as we've worshiped together. It has been great to share this time. If this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this. You can do this through Facebook, through YouTube. Uh, there's all kinds of ways you can do this. And this is one of the best ways that we can share the good news message of Jesus is by just sharing these services with others. It's so easy to do and such a great way to invite others to participate with us. So I encourage you, who can you share this with today? To, to spread the message of God's goodness and His grace for us. Can't wait to see you next Sunday.